I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, I'm going to start with one of my favorite stories, the favorite Shema story. Some of you may have heard it before, but it really reveals um, human nature. So it's a story that takes place in a cab in um, Eretz Yisrael. As any of you who have visit, uh, visited Israel, you know that cab drivers are usually very uh, uh, friendly, animated. They always have stories to tell. So this is a story that does... Uh, one man told, he was, I think he was a rabbi, he was sitting in the back of the cab, and this uh, Israeli cab driver shares with him the story about he and his friend and how, you know, it's very common that after the year of army, Israelis take off typically for Southeast Asia. So he told the story about how he and his friend were hiking in the mountains of Nepal, and suddenly, you know, he turned to look at his friend and, it see, and, and, it, and a boa constrictor had begun wrapping itself around his friend. Anyway, the boa constrictor was wrapping himself around tighter and tighter, and it seemed like this was going to be the end. And of course, this uh, Israeli, you know, as other stories I've told, who don't know how the Shema Yisrael is right there waiting for them to scream it. He decided it's the end of his life, and he started to scream, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And miraculously, he said it was unbelievable. He witnessed this with his own eyes. The boa began to unwrap himself from his friend and slowly slithered off into the jungle. Anyway, he went on to say that, you know, this friend of mine is a big rabbi today. You know, after this incident, he became Balchuva and he, you know, he's a big rabbi today. And, you know, he's talking all about this friend of his who became this big rabbi. So finally, the rabbi in the back seat of the cab in Israel says to him, and what about you? Did you also become a Balchuva? And he turns to the rabbi and he goes, well, what, what didn't happen to me? It happened to him. <laughs> anyway, so just uh, I had to I had to tell that story, you know, since uh, whatever it, it really um, it's really about human nature and all of us, right? We all have rational lie. We all rationalize, or as they say, rational lies um, is something that uh, we we use as human beings when we don't really want to do something. So we're in the second paragraph of the Shema, and we've spoken a lot last week about the idea of reward and punishment, because this piece of the Shema very much talks, the theme of the second paragraph is very much about reward and punishment. As we know, God says, if you listen to my commandments and you do what I tell you to love Hashem, your God, to serve him with all your heart, then we talked about all the material blessings that God says he's going to give right? He's going to give prosperity in this world. And we ask the question, you know, you can't reward mitzvahs with physical pleasures, because as we read last week by Rabbi Dessler, there's no such thing as a reward for a mitzvah in this world. And we read a piece that said that if you took all the pleasures of the world from the beginning of mankind until today, and you put them all into one moment of pleasure, it still would not be equal 
to the reward of one mitzvah that one does in this world in terms of the incredible pleasure that one enjoys in the next world. So again, we go back to this idea that God's giving us these physical rewards in this world because we need to feel physically and materially blessed so that we are undistracted and free to be able to concentrate on what Abraham Maslow calls self-actualization, but what we would call being good of de Hashem, right? Living our lives as good Jews, being able to devote ourselves to Torah study, which we said is equal to all the mitzvos, because if you don't learn, you don't know what to do, obviously. But on another higher level, we said that Torah, just the learning of Torah itself is what keeps the world spinning around. So being able to have the tranquility and serenity of having all of your material uh, things taken care of, God is saying, you know, I'm going to give you all this so that you'll be able to focus on and, um, and work towards your self-actualization as a proper Evan Hashem, as a proper servant of God. Okay, so um, just a last idea on that is that, you know, again, reward and punishment are conditional upon our observance. That's what the second paragraph tells us. And reward is basically based on effort, right? Hashem is not interested in the results as much as he's interested in the efforts. We live in a world where it's always like, you know, what's the bottom line? Show me the results. If you're not, you know, doing your job and I'm seeing results, then we get rid of you. We find somebody who brings results. But in Hashem's world and the way Hashem looks at us, he's much more interested in the efforts, than in the actual results, right? We have a pasuk that says, Lo alecha it's not up to you to finish the work, but it goes on to say, but you're not free from doing all that you possibly can. So it's the efforts. So we have an expression in Aramaic, lefun sara agra, according to the efforts is the reward. So, you know, human beings look at each other and they say, well, what is, I don't know what your efforts are. I can't measure those, which is the reason why we're not supposed to judge other people unless we're in their shoes. And of course, we'll never be in their shoes. So we can never judge another person. And of course, when we judge other people, we want to know tactless, you know, what have you, what have you produced? And that tells us the measure of the man, right? How much are you worth? But God says, no, I look at the effort, how much a person tries, whether they fail again and again and again. So for one person who's capable of more and produces less, there could be one person who's capable of more and produces less, and another who's capable of less but fulfills to their capacity. So that person is rewarded more, okay? So uh, another thing that the rabbis say is don't get frustrated because you can't do all of the mitzvot and you can't learn all of the Torah, but our reward comes from our day-to-day -day effort. And as we said, the second paragraph is in the plural to tell us that no one person is capable of accomplishing it all, right? We all need each other. We just read the Parsha last week, uh, Parsha Shkalim, that every Jew brought a half shekel as a donation to the Mishkan, to the building of the tabernacle, rich and poor alike brought a half a shekel. And of course, there's many uh, commentators on it. But, you know, very simply, it's saying that 
you know, every Jew by himself is only a half. That without being part of the Jewish people and recognizing that everybody is absolutely equal, whether rich or poor, a half a shekel was all you were allowed to bring. Because every single person is important and every single person is part of the community of Israel, which together can fulfill the Torah and do all the mitzvot. Okay, there's a medrash that uh, I just want to tell you about, a parable. Uh, laborers were hired to fill a great well with water. The foolish people who were working said, oh, I'll never complete this task. Where the wise, whereas the wise said, they said, the fool said, this is futile. Whereas the wise people said, listen, I'm being paid for my labor. So who cares how deep the well is? At least I'm assured of having a job for a long time. So this is the proper kind of perspective that we're supposed to have in terms of the 120 years that Hashem gives us, God willing, to slowly better ourselves, to take on another mitzvah, to try and continuously grow ourselves and become greater and greater in our Jewish, in our Torah learning and in our everyday mitzvot uh, observance. Hashem basically says to mankind, I will not castigate you for not having learned more than you were able to, not having, but you do have a mitzvah to study and observe the mitzvot daily. Okay. So we're going to continue, and we're going to see another difference between the first paragraph and the second paragraph. If we continue, of course, again, we, we noted that God says that if you don't behave properly in your land, if, you know, that the land, Eretz Yisrael, you know, has a moral barometer on it. And if you don't behave properly, then you will be kicked out of the land. And this is what it also talks about. You will... There'll be no rain and the ground will not yield its produce and you will swiftly be banished from the goodly land which Hashem gives you. And we said that gives you is in the present tense. It should say which he gave you. But there it's a hopeful message that he's giving it to you all the time and he continues to give it to you. You just have to be worthy of being in the land. And we know for thousands of years we were exiled. And we're living in incredible times today that we are back in our land. You know, my father always used to talk about it around the Shabbos table, that you're living in an incredible time in history. You know, how many generations only dream of going back to Eretz Yisrael, of being able to live there, of having the most incredible presence, millions of Jews living there today. But again, it's contingent on our behavior. There's no guarantees. You know, like my husband, you know, often says that Jews who their whole Judaism is Eretz Yisroel. Well, Eretz Yisroel could not be ours, God forbid, you know, chas v'chalila. We're near the end of history, so we imagine that could never happen again. But obviously, what really keeps us Jewish out of the Galus and even, in, you know, in the Galus and even in the Galus, which is still Israel today, right? Because as much as you may be in the physical land of Israel today, we still call it that we're still in exile, right? Until every Jew is keeping Torah and doing mitzvot and we have a presence in the land of Israel that's sending out our spiritual message to the world, then even Israel itself is still a place of exile. So again, keeping the land is contingent on our behavior and there's no guarantees. And that's why our 
where, where our Jewish identity has to be completely rooted in Torah, because that's what's kept us alive outside of Israel for thousands of years and will continue to keep us alive no matter what happens. Okay, and that leads very well into my next point, because the next things that we read are, and I'll just translate, place these words of mine upon your heart and upon your soul. And we had this idea in the first paragraph, right? These words are the words of Torah. And then it goes on and it talks about uh, so it talks again about the tefillin, which we had in the first paragraph. But here the difference is, is that it continues, it says, let them be tefillin between your eyes, and then it says, teach them to your children. Okay, again, we've had these words, discuss them. Right? When you're sitting in your home, when you're walking on the way, when you're going to sleep at night, and when you're getting up in the morning, or you can also read that as uh, when you are down, right? When you're feeling down, when you're feeling depressed, when you're wondering where Hashem is, right? You have to hold on tight when it's nighttime, and in the morning right? At all times in your life, whether you're going through good times or bad times, you should always be invoking the name of Hashem, talking about Hashem. But the difference here is that in the last first paragraph, we had teach them to your children and speak of them. And then we ended with, and then put, put them as a sign on your arm and on and between your eyes, right? As tefillin. So first we had teach to your children and then the tefillin. Here we have, you know, do the mitzvah of tefillin, bind it on your eyes, and then teach it to your children. So the question is, why does it switch here? So a very good answer, and one of the, re I mean, uh, something that it comes to teach us extra is something that, you know, I've spoken about whatever we've spoken about, my husband and I, just in general, about transmitting Torah to the next generation. That what, what the second paragraph is telling you is you have to do the mitzvah. You have to be actively doing something in order to be able to successfully teach your children. Because if your whole Yiddishkeit, if your whole Judaism is just talking about it or being, you know, proud of being a Jew or, you know, I'm Jewish in my heart or, you know, we visit Israel 10 times a year. But there's no actual mitzvot because the idea here is that, is that you can't pass on emotions. You know, you may be, you know, we have something called humanistic Judaism, right? Which basically is all about tikkun olam and that Jews are here to be menshes and to be good people, you know, and we'll figure that out ourselves. It's not necessarily what the Torah says. You know, we'll take the stuff we like from the Torah that teaches you how to be a mensch and the other stuff that we think is archaic or primitive or not relevant anymore, that we'll leave behind because we're going to teach our kids how to be humanistic Jews. So again, you might have a couple kids that are also become humanistic Jews, but as we know with assimilation and as we know just because the Torah is teaching us this, you can't pass emotions. Maybe you have a kid who doesn't want to be nice to other people, right? They've got a, a cranky character or they're cantankerous or they've got a shyster mentality. Like 
it's not going to be passed on to them, right? But if you're showing them that you get up and you go to shul in the morning and you put on tefillin and you are saying blessings and you're doing things that are ritualistically Jewish every day, that's something that they see, right? Put your money where your mouth is. Do as I do, as opposed to do as I say. And here, the second paragraph is telling you that it's by the doing that you have a more of a better chance that your children who are great imitators, right? Even if they stop at some point or they go, but, but at least you're giving them this structure, this framework of this is how you do Jewish, right? This is how you do Jewish. Forget about what you think and how you feel and you know, you're passionate. And I always give the example, you know, I grew up in St. Catharines, Ontario, 10 minutes from Niagara Falls. That's the, uh, right, on the map. And, you know, it wasn't a very Jewish place, but I lived and grew up in a very Jewish home. And it was permeated by, you know, great speeches around the Shabbos table and concern about Russian Jews. And today we're concerned about the Jews stuck in the Ukraine, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, we had a beautiful Shabbos table and this and that. But one of the things that uh, was interesting about my growing up years, and I'm sure a lot of you could relate to this, is, you know, my father would tell stories all the time about, you know, when he was a kid in Ottawa, you know, how he'd have to fight his way home from school every day. And his brother, my uncle, Rabbi Monson, you know, was older than them. He was 10 years older than my father. And he would always rescue them and save them from all these kids who wanted to beat them up, etc. And my father would always sort of be saying about, you know, the goyim, the, you know, you can't, you, you got to be careful, you got to this. And I could not relate to his stories at all. Because here I was growing up just one generation later in a very non-Jewish Gentile environment, all of my friends were, or most of my friends were not Jews. Most of the people I went to school with weren't. And nobody was calling me Moses for beating me up or saying anything about the fact that I was Jewish. I mean, maybe once or twice I heard a little comment and they didn't even know what it meant. They probably heard it from their parent. But the point was, is I couldn't relate to his experience. My experiences were completely different. And in my generation, it would have been very easy to want to marry a non-Jew because, you know, unless you were really keeping the Torah, there wasn't much difference between you and them. If you weren't really, you know, if you weren't eating different food, if you weren't, if you were going to the same parties with them on Friday night, right, there was no difference. So my father would tell these stories, like, I'm sorry, dad, it's not like that anymore. Nobody wants to beat me up. They're all my friends. So you see again how emotions or, you know, a parent's personal experiences or warnings or, you know, maybe you want to teach them about the Holocaust or you want to tell them about how the Jews have been persecuted. Well, you know, that's like the last reason they'd want to stay Jewish, right? Be like, okay, Holocaust, persecution. Well, I'm out of here, right? It's like Rabbi Breitowitz likes to say, how, how come all the secular Jews come to Shul twice a year on the worst times of the, on the worst holidays of the year, right? They come on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, right? The longest days in Shul, the most difficult, the most boring, okay? The most like confounding in terms of why are we doing this? He says, if they're going to pick two days of the year to come, sorry, Sarah, can you mute yourself? 
pick Purim and Simchas Torah. <laughs> now, if they came Purim and Simchas Torah, there'd be a chance that they'd want to stay within the Jewish fold. But again, the idea is that you cannot transmit emotions. You cannot transmit your pride even. You know, maybe on some kids, it'll fall deeper than others. The only thing that you can really pass over are the actions that you do. And there's actually a story. I don't have it here, but somebody, as some student <coughs> told Rabbi Fagenbaum, who used to be the principal at Tiferas, that, or, or some guy told him that my father wakes up every morning at 6 a.m. to learn Torah. So Rabbi Fagenbaum was very dubious because he knew this man and he had a very min minimal Jewish background and he couldn't imagine. Anyway, he saw him and he said, you know, your son told me that you wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning and you heard Torah. He said, well, to tell you the truth, I really, you know, can't learn very much, but I do it just so he'll know how important it is to me. So again, the idea that you know, that's what you pass on, the actions, the actions that you do, not just the beautiful speeches. Okay, or unfortunately, you know, oi, nebuch, the horrible experiences we had at the hands of those goyim, right? And then your kids grow up with beautiful goyim who are sitting next to them at U of T and don't seem any, any different than they are. And like, what's with the goyim? I got out of bath, I got out of the shtetl of Bathurst and Lawrence and they don't seem so bad right? So that's not the way to be able to teach it. Okay, so let's see where we're up to. Let's go. Okay, so we have the same kind of words here. You should speak about them. And of course, we said bum was an acrostic for from Bereshis, the base in Bereshis to Me'emasai, which is the first word of the Mishnah, the oral Torah. You have to teach the whole thing. And write them on mezuzahs in your house. And of course, we said, by the way, mezuzot, the middle of the word mezuzot is the word zuz, which means movement, right? So whether you're going into your house or you're going out of your house, right? This place that you move around inside your house, you have to write the words of the Shema there because that's what's supposed to permeate the Jewish home. Words of Torah, learning of Torah, mitzvot, etc. And why? So this ends differently. The second paragraph, it says, Lema'an yirbu yimeichem bimei v'neichem ala adimah asher nishpa Hashem lavotechem l'tet lachem kimei Hashemayim al-Arts. Translation. Why should you do this? In order to prolong your days and the days of your children upon the ground that Hashem has sworn to your ancestors to give them like the days of the heaven on the earth. So why should you keep the mitzvot? Why should you, again, realize that by doing the mitzvot, you'll be rewarded with what? Ultimately, you'll also be rewarded with the ground that Hashem swore to your ancestors to give to them, meaning the land of Israel. Now, it's really interesting um, that it's also saying here, this is actually the source, Latet Lahem, is actually the one source in the Torah for Tichiyat HaMetim. Because when it says here that God swore to you to give to your, swore to your ancestors to give them, he's saying that Hashem told, promised Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov that they would get the land of Israel. So this is the source in the Torah that says 
There has to be something called the resurrection of the dead, because this promise that God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to be fulfilled when I give you the land back, again, based on your doing all these mitzvot and, you know, permeating your life with your mission, which we said that Shema Yisrael is our mission statement of, you know, sanctifying God's name in this world and bringing, being a light onto the nations and bringing the message of Judaism to mankind, right? So it says there that, again, the land refers to Eretz Yisrael and it's telling us that it will be ours eternally, just like just like the heavens are above the earth. In Tehillim, we also have another verse that says, the heavens are God's, but the earth he gave to mankind. So this is also a reference, this word, these words to that saying in Tehillim. And the Katsker Rebbe said, God gave the earth to mankind so that they should convert it into heaven. Right, and we said this is a very Jewish idea that we don't believe, you know, that it's okay when we get to heaven, everything will be good there. The Jewish idea is that we are supposed to make a heaven on earth, that we're supposed to make this world into a heaven. And that's why Jews have this incredible drive to fix the world, right? Even Jews who do nothing in terms of ritually you know, they have this tikkun olam cry on their lips. We've got to repair the world. We've got to fix the world. It's not, you know, that the, uh, what do they say? The meek will inherit the next world, right? Which the other religions can teach. You know, it's okay if your life is miserable here. You're going to be in really good shape in the next world if you were poverty stricken in this world, right? The opiate of the masses is what Karl Marx said, you know, that religion was because of this, this kind of teaching but judaism says you have to make this world into heaven okay and rav aron of bells also comments on this line he says your lives and the lives of your children should be spiritual like the heavens that are brought down to earth right they should be our lives should be lives which are imbued with spirituality even as we live this very physical, mundane, material life. And of course, we've spoken about that many times in many different forms. Okay, so we finished second paragraph, and I want to go on to the third paragraph. Wow, maybe we'll even finish today. Wouldn't that be great? Okay. All right, so the main themes of the third paragraph, and maybe we should read it. Well, why don't I read it quickly, okay? God says to Moshe, right? And all of these, by the way, these verses of the paragraphs, these paragraphs are all found in the Torah, but not together, right? You'll have the first paragraph in one uh, parsha, second paragraph in another parsha. I think it's in, Huk in Hukas. Um, and the third paragraph somewhere else, but when they made the sitter, they put all these three paragraphs together, right? And began them with Shema Yisrael at the top. Okay, so this is the third paragraph. It's, yeah, it's in Bamidbar chapter 15. Okay, and for men who are wearing tzitzits, they have certain times during this paragraph where they kiss their tzitzits. 
Okay. And I remember, you know, like before I was religious, I remember being at the Kotel and I was, I, you know, I, I, I thank God I went to Hebrew school. So I knew how to read Hebrew, even though they say Hebrew school is one of the greatest causes of assimilation. You know, anybody who had to go for three hours to school after you finished school, right? Only you and the Ukrainians were doing that. They went to Ukrainian school, okay? you know, and you had to sit there and like learn this language that you're never going to use. And like, why are we doing this? Right. I mean, you know, it's a it's a comedy's dream uh, going through talking about Hebrew school. But, you know, I remember being able to say the Shema when I went to the Kotel for the first time to the Western Wall. And I remember being struck by the fact that, you know, here I was reading these ancient words about tzitzit, you know, and I looked around and I saw like people were actually wearing them. And for me, it was kind of like, whoa, it was like, wow, they're still doing this. You know, it's unbelievable. Like, there must be something still relevant about this. Like, here's guys in jeans walking around with these strings sticking out. Like, it's incredible that it's still with us. So that I remember just being sort of like a, a bit of a revelation to me. Okay, so anyway, it says that, speak to the children of Israel, say to them that they're to make themselves sitsits on the corners of their garments. Lidoro sam, throughout their generations, right? And they're to place upon the tzitzits of each corner a thread of techelis. We'll talk about what that is. And it shall be tzitzits for you, that you may see it and remember all the commandments of Hashem and perform them and not go after or not explore, interesting word that's used, after your heart and after your eyes, after which you stray. Okay, so let's just, um, okay, now I'll finish it. So that you may remember and perform all my commandments, right? So again, there's that idea that the tzitzit somehow are related to remembering and performing all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am Hashem, your God, who has removed you from the land of Egypt to be a God to you. I am Hashem, your God. Okay, so a number of commandments that are found in the section that are listed in the Talmud are number one, the law of tzitzits. Number two, we have a law, a commandment to remember the Exodus every morning and every evening. Number three, it talks about remembering all the commandments and be, being a, beware of heresy. Don't go after your eyes and your heart, right? Avoid avoidance of sinful thoughts. And the last one it says is avoidance of idolatrous thoughts. Okay, so the first thing we have to do is talk about tzitzit. tzitzit. What are they? So I want to tell you a cute story that I heard. I think I read it in a Rabbi Pesach Krohn book. And it was about this new Balchuva who decided that, you know, he's going to take on a very easy mitzvah and he's going to start wearing tzitzit. So we know tzitzit, you just put it on under your shirt and it's got the little strings and you can tuck them in. You don't have to put them out. People have different customs about that. And, you know, he figured, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and do one thing. Anyway, he had started wearing tzitzit and he'd been wearing them now for like a few weeks. And one morning he was on his way to work. He was a New Yorker, I don't know, driving to New Jersey. And he always stopped at the same gas station to get himself a cup of coffee. Anyway, he stopped there and he got his coffee 
And somehow when he got back in the car and started driving, the coffee ended up spilling and it ended up spilling all over him. Hopefully it wasn't too hot. But anyway, he was a mess and he couldn't go to work like that. So he turned around and he went home. And when he got home and he was changing, he realized, oh my goodness, I forgot to put my titsit on this morning, you know? And, you know, he was just beginning to become more spiritually aware and everything else. And he said, wow, that's so interesting that like, you know, if I hadn't spilled my coffee, I never would have come home and I never would have known that I wasn't wearing my titsit. So he put on his titsit and he set out again, you know, back to work the same route. And he noted that at the place where the gas station was, that intersection there, which was one of the main intersections of that part of New York, New Jersey, he looked up at the sign of the intersection and it was called Four Corners. Yeah, that, that was the name of it, right? So of course, you know, the midst of Sitsit is to put them on the four corners of your garment. Okay, so... Now, the tzitzit, like everything else in Judaism, have tremendous uh, symbolism, the number of knots, the number of threads, all of this, okay? So, first of all, what are tzitzit? They're white strands of wool bound together with one blue strand, and they're attached to the corners of a four-cornered garment, okay? So, every set has five knots and eight threads, Okay, the word itself, tzitzit, if you take the numer numeral numer numerical value of each of the letters in tzitzit, they equal 600. And then there's eight strings plus five knots, which is 13. So the idea is that you're actually wearing the number 613 on you right? Because that's what it adds up to. Not only the word tzitzit is 600, but then you have the eight strings and five knots. And the idea of the tzitzit is that when you look at them, when you see them, they're supposed to remind you of the 613 mitzvot. Now it says that the Rambam says that the reason that God gave this mitzvah is he gave it right after the incident in the Torah of Shabbos violation. That's where you find the third paragraph of the Shema. You know, they had gotten the mitzvah of Shabbos, and there's a whole story in Parsha Shalach about some guy who goes out and starts gathering wood in front of everybody on Shabbos and totally desecrates what was clearly given to them, you know, from the word of God through Moshe to the Jewish people during their time in the wilderness. And right after this episode where this person is killed, Al-Pitora, for violating the Shabbos, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the children of Israel and tell them that they should make tzitzits on the corners of their garments. Okay, so it's in reaction to, so to speak, the Shabbos violation. Because the idea of the tzitzits is that the tzitzits are somehow supposed to remind a Jew, a Jewish man, of all the 613 mitzvot, and that he'll remember all of them, including the mitzvah of Shabbos. And Moshe basically, you know, tells Hashem, he's always our defender, you know, he says the mitzvot are still new to the people. And that's why they violated the Shabbat. They have tefillin for the weekday, but they don't have, you don't wear tefillin on Shabbat. 
just heard a story from a friend of ours who's a Balchuva. And he told us, you know, first time he ever went to Asia Torah. And he, he knew nothing, he said. And he, first of all, he said he went and he was sitting there and only women were coming. And he thought, wow, what a great shul this is. Like, look at all these women here. And then one woman finally said to him, would you go to the other side? The men are on the other side. <laughs> that was one of his stories. But the other one was that he proudly came in on a Shabbos wearing his, you know, wrapping himself up in his tefillin, you know, his bar mitzvah tefillin. And some guy goes, we don't do that on Shabbat. Uh, you know, whatever. Anyway, he, um, he learned the hard, he said, you know, you have to have a lot of uh, humility to become a balchuva you know if you have any arrogance that's it you quit right after that okay <laughs> anyway so so anyway basically you know the tefillin are, are for weekday not on shabbos so hashem instituted the tzitzit that we wear all the time even on shabbos right as a reminder now rashi says the word tzitzit can mean curls or locks or it can mean the word to gaze sits like the Kohen Gadol wore this tzitz on top of his head that said Kodesh Hashem, this golden headband, right? But anyway, the idea is that the tzitzit used to be worn on the end of a cape. But today, since we no longer wear real four-cornered garments, and, and it would be a neglected mitzvah because of that, the rabbis mandated that we can fulfill this mitzvah by wearing a talis katan. And of course, I think there's a famous story about some guy, you know, who, uh, I guess, I don't know, he was somewhere and some other guy saw his tzitzits. And they said, what's with your tzitzits? You know, they're so small. They still have like the choo-choo train on them from your upshare, you know, and they go, you know, and they're really tiny on you. And he was like, yeah, well, I got these when I was three and these are the ones I wear. So the idea of the story was, you know, you're still wearing the same tzitzis from when you were three. Like, you know, it's time to graduate. You're 45 now. But, you know, the idea is that a lot of people hold on. They, they get stuck. They get stuck. It's like their, their, um, their process of growing in their Jewishness becomes retarded. And so many Jews just do whatever their parents did or stay exactly in the same place because they don't recognize that Judaism is something that you have to own, that has to grow with you, that is something that gets better and better with age and, 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 and more deeper and more addressing your needs in this moment. But unfortunately, many, many Jews have nostalgia or they get stuck at a certain time at a certain place in their life and they don't keep going with it and of course it's not easy to um pick up the thread if you like to use the tzitzit analogy and keep on growing for all of us and even those who were born religious right they just rely on what they learned what they knew and they don't really own it it's important to own it because when you own something, it's yours and it can't be easily taken away. When it was just given to you, you know, as a gift, it's nice, but it's not, you know, I say choose it or lose it, you know, you've got to own it. Okay. Um, so the Dorotum, 
for all generations means it applies to all generations, even those that may think they're so righteous that they don't need to wear them. Okay, so it says that you're supposed to have these white strings and they're supposed to, each corner is supposed to have a thread of techeles. So what is techeles? Techeles, we don't really wear today. There are some people who wear it, but I would say most, in most camps of most Orthodox Jews, they, um, they puskin with this idea that this blue thread is not something that's attain obtainable today because the dye of the blue of this thread was made from a fish called a chilazon and they used use that fish to dye the string blue. This fish, even in ancient times, was so rare that the fish just only rose to the ocean surface every 70 years. And they say that we've lost the tradition that we don't really know what species of fish this is. So we don't dye that string blue anymore. It's kind of like we lost the tradition of how to shecht a giraffe. <laughs> Giraffes are kosher, right? They have a very long neck. And we've lost the tradition of, you know, where they shefted it. So we don't get to have giraffe burgers, you know, whatever. Anyway, I don't know if I want one. Um, they're so cute. Anyway, um, so yeah, so we don't know. So the Gemara says that the punishment is much greater for neglecting the white strands of the tzitzits than neglecting the blue, number one, because the blue is so much harder to get. Whereas the white is easy and there's no excuse. It's a very easy mitzvah. So, you know, back to that idea that um, the greater the effort, the greater the reward. So when something's easy, you really don't have an excuse for why you're not doing it. So the idea here is that white is common and blue is more precious. But there's a deeper idea too, that the common, the more common represents the body and the blue represents the neshama, the soul. So the tzitzits are also not only a remembrance of the 613 mitzvot, but the white and the blue on the tzitzit are supposed to remind you that you're a body and a soul. And the white part is common, right? It's more numerous. The blue is the soul, which is the most precious. And the idea is it's supposed to tell us, remind us, our soul is our essence. Our body, just like the tzitzit, is merely a garment that allows our soul to exist in the physical world. So the tzitzit remind us that our bodies are garments. And when we see, seeing the tzitzit at the end of the garment reminds us that physical life ends. So you should be thinking seriously about what comes after this world. Some I heard a speaker last night at the Beis Yaakov Elementary, Malava Malk, and she said, keep your eye on the Olam Haba ball, right? So it's like the tzitzits, the fact that the tzitzits end are supposed to say you're also going to end. That physical part of you, with, with the, which the white strands represent, so you should be thinking about what comes after, what's beyond this world. Our physical lives end, so that sits it remind us of our own mortality and the spiritual afterlife that the soul enters. As it says in Pirkei Avos, right? We all are familiar with this 
of Mishnah and Pirkei Avos, remember three things if you want to live a meaningful life. Remember where you came from. And of course, the answer is you came from a putrid drop, right? And where you are going, you're going to another world eventually, to the world of souls, to a world where you divest yourself of your physical body. And to whom you will give, you will need to give an accounting, right? Bless you, Faggy. Anyway, you should be gazant. Anyway, the idea here is that, again, and all of us, all of us should be gazant, that you should know that a person who realizes that their time in this life is, met, is minimal, it's a blink of an eye, the way to stay on top of the game is to remember where did you come from, where are you going, and to whom will you have to give an accounting of the time that you spent in this world. It's like a library book, I say, you know, like, you could take it home, you could read it, but you're going to have to give it back. You know, what kind of shape are you giving that library back in? Is it in the same pristine shape, you know, or is it all tattered and torn and who knows what? Well, maybe we do get a little tattered and torn, right? But the point is that you have to give it back. So um, hopefully Hashem knows, you know, all the efforts that resulted in the tatter and torn part of it. And that that goes, and of course, all of our sufferings, which go on the side of the mitzvahs, as we've said. Okay, so the idea here is reminds us not to aggrandize our body's importance, but to put it into proper perspective, which we know is very difficult in our society. To downplay the body and highlight the soul centrality. And of course, the more we make our bodies ends in themselves, the less significant our soul seems. So the tzitzits are telling us to focus on our true identity, on our soul and its spiritual accomplishments, which is not to say that the body can't also teach us stuff about Hashem and the incredibleness of the Bore Olam, the creator of the entire world. And we said that the Rambam said, we said at the beginning of this, series that the Rambam says that one of the ways to come to love Hashem is by studying his world, right? By studying the physical world around to come to the realization that could only be something beyond our comprehension that could have created everything in its minutest details that runs so well and that the human mind, as much as it knows and as much as it's learned, can still not fathom, for example, the intricate design and function of the human body, which is why we have a mitzvah when we come out of the bathroom to say a prayer of Asher Yatsar, which is a nice mitzvah to take on, right? You can say it in English until it becomes natural to you. But every time you come out of the bathroom, you can have a moment of God awareness where you say, thank you that my body is running smoothly reminds us how exquisitely our bodies are made. It goes into detail about, you know, if you have all these openings in your body, and if one of these openings gets closed, even for a minute, right? COVID, people couldn't breathe. They couldn't gas, they couldn't get air, right? If one of your orifices isn't working, you can't stand, 
or if something that's supposed to be closed opens up. You know, it's impossible to stand up in front of you, God. So a little bit more about this. We have this idea that our heads are higher than our bodies, right? A human being's head is always higher than their body, which is not the case with most animals. Most animals are on all fours. They can't even pick their heads up the way we can and just look up at the sky. Which, by the way, the blue of the techelet of the tzitzit string is supposed to remind us of the sky. And when a person looks up at the sky, the blue of the sky, they're, they're lifted up to a more spiritual perspective. Because, of course, we, we say even though Hashem is everywhere, he resides above the seven heavens, right? Uh, with seven spaces in between, actually 15 levels on his Kisei Kavo. So it also teaches us the fact that our heads are on the top of our bodies that our intellect should rule our emotions. We've talked about this being a melech, moach, lev, klayim, that the head is the melech, the king, the person who's a king, his head is at the top. It rules his emotions. And the klayim always represent, the kidneys represent the activities of a person, okay? That we shouldn't let our feelings dictate and be slaves to our drives. We also learn from the physical human being that we have two ears and one mouth, which is telling us you should speak uh, less. You should listen twice as much as you speak. Again, the idea that Judaism is a religion of listening, of hearing, right? The rabbis say in Pirkei Avos, speech is good for the wisdom, right? Silence is good for the, for, for the soul. So the idea of Right. We also, even if we look at the mouth itself, we know that the mouth is the most dangerous part of a human being or one of the most dangerous parts in terms of it going awry. So the lips need teeth to guard what goes in and out of the mouth. And of course, uh, the tongue has teeth and lips, double guards, to remind us that we should be careful. The ears and eyes have barriers so that we can close them to keep things out information that we shouldn't let in. I mentioned how the index finger fits perfectly into your ear to block out Lush and Hara. So all of these things, even our physical construction and the physical construction of the world around us is so full of wisdom of the creator, of the one who made these things. It's telling us about him. You know, if you see a beautiful painting, you just assume that there must have been a painter. And even though you've never met the painter, right? Just by looking at Rembrandt's paintings, you could write a whole essay on who Rembrandt was and maybe what was important to him. And, you know, the more you would learn about him, the more you would understand his painting. So it goes the other way too. We have the painting. Hashem is hidden behind it. But obviously, the more we learn about the physical world around us, the more we can know Hashem. So we're not ascetics. There are times that we fast. There are times when we don't engage in marital relations. So why do we do this? Because by abstaining from the physical sometimes allows us greater contact with our spirituality. 
Withdrawing from the physical helps us focus our attention on the spiritual dimension. Shabbos is this, right? We got the mitzvah of tzitzitz right after this desecration of Shabbos. Shabbos is saying detach from the physical world. Remember, it's not yours. You're going to have to leave it one day. You're going to have to exit stage right, you know? So every week we practice this with Shabbos. We're giving the world back to Hashem. All week long, we put our fingerprints on it all over the place, right? But on Shabbos, we, we, we retract and we say, this is not our world, Hashem. We're just here for a short time. So we give it back to Hashem. And this is really a rehearsal that we do every week for the end of life. So again, the white of the tzitzis reminds us of the garment, body, which is also, again, very holy and full of wisdom. And the blue is the soul that comes from under the kisei hakavr. Blue of the tzitzis, just a quote from the Talmud, reminds us of the ocean, which reminds us of the blue of the sky, and then, of course, points to Hashem who created it. Okay. Um, just one story from the Talmud that's always a fascinating story, and I'm not going to read it from the inside, but maybe you've heard it before. It's a story of an infamous prostitute who was known throughout the world at that time. She was so beautiful, and she charged an incredible and exorbitant amount of money, but men would travel long distances to see her. So the Talmud tells a story of a Jewish man who traveled to see her and paid a fortune of money to be able to have his time with this prostitute. Anyway, she had this golden bed that had golden mattresses or whatever, and it's like the princess and the pea, right? She had them piled up high so that you had to climb a ladder to get to her. I mean, the whole story is incredible in, in the Talmud. And um, anyway, as he started climbing up the ladder after journeying across many oceans and paying exorbitant sums of money to have his time with her, he's climbing up this ladder and he's just about reaching her when all of a sudden his sitsits, because he's a religious guy after all, right? His sitsits hit him in the face and they bring him to his senses. And he begins to climb down. And of course, this prostitute is in shock. I mean... And he, she says to him, what blemish did you see in me? You know, why is it she, she says that you've lost interest? And he reassures her. He says, no, no, no. I've never seen a woman as beautiful as you. But my tzitzis reminded me of God's commandment and of the punishment that goes along with going against it. My tzitzit appeared as four witnesses testifying against me. Anyway, the end of the story is that she was so impressed and amazed by this Jewish man who in the throes of, you know, passion and the temptation and everything that he had invested in coming to her, right, decides to walk away, that the end of the story is that she converts, okay? She gives up her life of ill repute and becomes a from lady. Anyway, so Tzitzit, the idea of this story is that tzitzit are meant to give a man spiritual strength. Okay, um, okay, last idea here. So the mitzvot are not just directives. They're not just telling us, do this, don't do that. But they're meant to be a support system for us. 
not only do they help us overcome challenges when we become accustomed to doing them, but they remind us of our true identities. We wear a uniform as Jews. You know, I don't know if you know that Uncle Moishi song, if you had to listen to it ad nauseum in the cars, like I used to have to from New York to Toronto, the, the firemen and the policemen too, the pilot flying in the sky so blue, they wear their uniforms and we should too. It reminds us of what we're supposed to do. The mailman and the crossing guard, the chef, the waiter and the lifeguard. Okay, anyway, enough about that, you get it, okay. Great song, right? But the idea is that we have a uniform. Jews have a uniform. And that uniform is supposed to remind us. And that's what the tzitzits are for men. It reminds them. You know, a shaito for a woman. I'm a married woman. I put this on. There's a certain way I have to behave in the company of other men. Right? Whatever it is, I'm an identifiable Orthodox Jew. People are expect, they're holding me to a higher standard in the same way that the world holds Israel to a higher standard. And therefore the responsibility and accountability that's upon every single Jew because of the uniform that we wear. And again, the uniform is there to help us remember who we are, right? Daughters of the King, God's emissaries into the world of teaching about the oneness of God and how he wants us to behave with each other. Okay, we didn't get to finish. I guess we're going to finish next week. Mirza Hashem. So thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful week. Shavua Tov. Enjoy Rosh Chodesh this week, and I hope I'll see you on Wednesday. Take care, Penny. Nice to see you. Thank you. Hi, Marlene. Okay, all the best, everybody. Rhonda, nice to see you. Tova, take care. Bye.